You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs and cryptocurrencies. As a part of our ongoing series on DeFi, in today's episode, we want to take a deep dive into one of the newer ideas in the industry, and that is the concept of uncollateralized lending. We have with us Rafael Cosman, who is the CEO and co-founder of Trust Token. Trust Token recently launched TrueFi, which is an uncollateralized lending platform in the DeFi ecosystem. We are privileged to have this opportunity to discuss with Rafael what TrueFi is the uncollateralized lending solution that it offers and maybe pick his brain on some of the general trends in the defi space rafael a very warm welcome to you on our show from both of us thank you krishna it's great to be on so before we dive into trust token and truefi specifically could you give our audience a quick story about your background how you got into blockchains and cryptocurrencies and maybe lay out your path leading up to co-founding trust token Sure, happy to. I'll, I'll try to keep it fairly concise. Um, so yeah, I'm Rafael Cosman. Um, I was born in California, went to um, Stanford to study computer science. And that was where I first encountered Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and took a bunch of cryptography classes from a professor you may have heard of named Dan Bonet. And then um, after I graduated, I was very interested in um, doing a startup and in general, just how technology companies are built. And I um, started a company with a friend of mine. And originally, we actually, our, our company was an estate planning company. So we made software to help people make their wills and trusts. And then about a year into that, um, we, we had been following what was happening in crypto. And there was, this was 2017. And we saw what was happening with Tether. You know, it was, Tether was just very mistrusted but still growing at a tremendous rate. And now it's over $20 billion in there. At the time, it was maybe it was like 100 million or something. And we thought, wow, it's, it's huge, but um, maybe less than that. Um, but we saw, we saw the market that they had proven out and we said, wow, there is clearly an opportunity here to build a better USD stablecoin. So we ended up launching TrueUSD and um, built that product for a couple of years to be one, now it's one of the largest stable coins in the world with about currently about $400 million um, backing 400 million true USD that are circulating globally. Um, and then um, after, after building true USD and scaling it up, we, you know, we saw how much DeFi was growing and DeFi was becoming an, an increasingly large fraction of where true USD was actually being held and used. And, we said, hey, there is a very large piece missing here. You know, over collateralized lending is a giant piece of DeFi, but uncollateralized lending or under collateralized lending is largely untouched in DeFi. And we think that that is a multi billion dollar market that is waiting for someone to capitalize on and to build a new protocol for. And that is what led to TrueFi. I mean, that's great to hear, Rafael. So one uh, question I had, uh, or one thought that occurred to me is that, so you had a core background in computer science. Uh, you're basically in, in, it's an engineering discipline, right? So how did you actually 
take that transition into finance? Did you, uh, do you have a co-founder? Do you have, uh, or do you have uh, a background in finance? Uh, did you learn, teach yourself? How did, how did that happen? Well, I, I think like a lot of people in crypto, I don't really have a background in finance. I've picked up some stuff along the way, but I'm certainly not an expert when it comes to finance. I, we've got people on our team with a lot more financial expertise than me, but including people that have worked professionally in trading and lending, etc. Um, but I think like a lot of founders and CEOs in crypto, um, these are you know there are a lot of folks that are just have got interested in the technology and started building things. And I think that you can you can learn a lot of the finance stuff along the way or hire the people yeah, no, that you I, need. I agree. I, I, I tend to agree as well because I think it's very important to have like a uh, outsider mindset. And I think that's that's one of the interesting things about crypto is that we have a bunch of these people who are core technical folks, but who are now getting into this world of, uh, you know, finance and monetary uh, policy and stuff like that. And they don't have the baggage to not question, right? So those things that are considered sacred cows are basically immediately questioned and then you get a lot of value out of doing that. Exactly. That's right. I think we're we're rebuilding a lot of what finance has built and learning from it, but leaving a lot of the baggage on the table, rebuilding it like the way it really should be built if you're designing this stuff in the 21st century. So before we jump into the working mechanics of uh, how the TrueFi solution works, uh, Rafael, uh, I know you touched on this. You talked about the market a little bit, uh, but could yeah. you, from a very top-level perspective, uh, tell us uh, what is uncollateralized lending for our audience and uh, what is the real market opportunity here? I know you touched on it a little bit. Uh, there was over-collateralized lending, which a lot of people were focusing on. So where does TrueFi fit in? Well, what is the market opportunity that you're going after? Yeah. Okay. So, and there's no way to really um, understand the product without trying it. So I would encourage everyone who's listening to the podcast, if you go to trufi.io, T-R-U-E-F-I.io, you can see the product. It's live today. It's got tens of millions of dollars in it. People are using it 24-7 and you can try it out for yourself. Um, it's, it's very, very cool. I think very, very innovative. And so let me give a little background on, on what we saw as where DeFi was and what we saw is missing. So um, many of your listeners have probably heard of Compound or Aave or Maker. Those are three of the largest DeFi protocols today. And a lot of these major DeFi protocols, they work using what's called over-collateralized lending, which means let's say that, Nikhil, let's say you were to give me uh, $150 worth of Ether, and then I give you a loan of $100 of stablecoin. So you owe me $100 of stablecoin. You can take that money, you can go spend it, you can go trade with it and so on. But I'm holding as collateral $150 of your Ether. So I'm protected as the lender because I know if you don't pay back that loan, then I'm going to keep your Ether. I can go sell that and my loan is covered. So that is part of what makes it lower risk for me. Does that make sense? Sure. Yep. Sure. Yep. So that's over collateralized lending and all of these all of these major DeFi protocols compound ave maker and many others all work on that principle which basically says they're willing to make loans to literally anyone anyone can go to the compound smart contract and get a loan today of even a million dollars but the catch is you're going to have to put up more than that amount in collateral that's why they can give a loan to anyone they don't do any credit checks they don't do any review 
of who's taking out those loans because they know as long as they have enough collateral, they are protected even if you don't pay that money back. So that's where DeFi was. That that had grown from being you know, a small thing that people would play around with with a few hundred bucks to now having billions of dollars in some of these protocols. And what we saw was, hey, that's a, that is a huge market. It makes a lot of sense. But there is an equally large or potentially larger market for uncollateralized loans where you don't take collateral. So you don't have that extra protection of collateral, but instead you have to actually be careful about who you're lending to. So with the TrueFi protocol, because it does uncollateralized loan, it is absolutely not the case that anyone can come and get a loan from TrueFi. You have to be a very legit, um, right now we right now TrueFi deals primarily with trading firms that have tens or hundreds of millions of dollars under management that do millions or billions of dollars in volume and have been around for years of a very strong reputation. And so these firms are able to come to TrueFi and say, hey, I'd like to have a loan for a million dollars. Is TrueFi willing to give me an uncollateralized loan? And the TrueFi community um, gets information from the borrower. They actually have to submit an entire application with a lot of info about what they do and, and how they're going to be using the funds and the um, where they're going to be trading it and so on. And then um, the TrueFi community, it's ultimately governed by a token called the True Token. Um, token holders get to make a decision. Do they want the protocol to make that loan or not? Do they really trust this borrower? And as our credit models get more sophisticated, we're going to be able to expand the number of borrowers that we can do business with and hopefully grow the protocol to a similar size as some of these over-collateralized protocols where we're doing hundreds of millions or billions of dollars of loans in the future. That's where we'd like to get. But we're, we're still at the beginning right now. You know, just, just launched it in November, so you're still, um, you're still getting it at the ground floor right now. Yeah, so, so actually that raises a couple of uh, interesting questions in my mind. The first one basically is, we had over-collateralized lending in Compound and Aave and all of those. And you went directly from over-collateralized to no collateral. I, I was thinking that maybe there's a in-between step. Maybe what about like under-collateralized or just partially collateralized lending? What are your thoughts on that? So we, it's definitely something that we thought about. And you can see an under-collateralized loan as to a certain extent, you can see it as a combination of one over-collateralized loan or fully collateralized loan and then one under-collateralized loan. So like if, I, if you give me $50 of Ether as collateral and then I make you $100 of stablecoin loan, you could think of that as sort of like, you know, that's like a $50 collateralized loan and then a $50 uncollateralized loan. And so if someone does actually want to make a protocol that does combination collateralized and uncollateralized land lending, they could actually plug in directly to both TrueFi for the uncollateralized part and Compound or another protocol for the overcollateralized part and combine those two to make uh, a partially collateralized loan. So we do think it, 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 is an, it will be an important part of the space and it is something that TrueFi could expand into in the future. But I think that the most valuable stake for us to plant in the ground is to say TrueFi is really going to own the uncollateralized lending space and the partially collateralized lending space can ultimately emerge in between. But this could be one of the pillars that supports it. 
That's a very interesting thought. So it's it's like you're looking at uh, it as some kind of Lego block of uh, of money or other financial Lego blocks that you can combine together. Exactly. So that's that's one very very nice way of thinking about it. But there's also the danger on the other hand is that you know if you've noticed in the DeFi space over the past couple of years, uh, especially in the past year, 2020. People have been taking quote-unquote Lego blocks like flash loans and various types of lending and derivative smart contracts, combining them and then, you know, in unexpected ways. And then that leads to unexpected behavior, right? You could technically call them hacks, I guess. But what I call them is basically an intelligent guy basically seeing a combination of uh, actions that leads to an unexpected situation. Uh, are you kind of foreseeing uh, your product basically over time to become like one of those basic Lego blocks that could potentially be combined in these ways? And then have you thought about the risk of doing that? Yes, absolutely. That is very much where we are looking to take this protocol for it to be a core Lego block, similar to a compound or an Ave or Maker. And um, if you design the Lego block right, then it doesn't matter what blocks you connect it to, the core will still be solid. But you really have to you really have to build a protocol carefully to get there. And so that's the kind of testing and iteration um, that we're that we're doing right now, and you know, looking for okay, can our can our protocol survive when a borrower defaults? Could it survive if multiple borrowers default at the same time? And we have to make sure that the protocol is resilient to all of those things. But we have designed it to be extensible where um, other protocols can actually take part in some of the loans that TrueFi, they can actually lend to TrueFi, borrow from TrueFi, or take part in some of the individual loans that the TrueFi protocol is making. And then they could have other strategies. Other protocols could implement completely different strategies for how they want to um, what loans they decide they want to invest in and what they want to do uh, with those assets. So that gives a really good overview of the need for a solution such as TrueFi versus some of the other platforms that are there in the DeFi space that you just mentioned. To go a little bit deeper now into how it all works, right? So let, let's start off by defining some of the key terms that are a part of TrueFi. So uh, yep. we know that there is a true USD token that you mentioned earlier, which goes by the symbol TUSD which is a stable coin pegged to the US dollar. Then you have the TrueFi token, which goes by the symbol TRU. And then you also have something called a loan token. So uh, there are multiple moving parts in this lending system. Could you explain to us in detail how the whole process works? Absolutely. Okay, so, so starting from the beginning, the way it works is there's a lending pool and anyone can just put a stable coin, in this case, TrueUSD, into the lending pool if they want to start earning an attractive interest rate. And in the future, we may support other stable coins as well, like USDC and DAI, and even other assets like Bitcoin or Ether. But for right now, it's just TrueUSD. So you put TrueUSD into the lending pool, you can immediately start earning an attractive interest rate. And then that lending pool, what it's doing with your TrueUSD is it's going to be lending it out with borrowers on the TrueFi platform. So the borrowers, right now, all the borrowers are well-respected, well-established, crypto funds that do crypto trading on major exchanges. And they are oftentimes offering to pay between 11 and 12% APY to be able to borrow stable coins. And that's a pretty attractive rate. 
So the way that that works is they submit an application to the lending pool saying, well, let's say it's Alameda Research. They submit an application saying, hey, we'd like to borrow, what was their last loan? They said $10 million for 30 days at an 11.6% APY. That was actually the, the, the last loan that Alameda did that recently got approved um, two days ago was, was those are the terms. So they submit that. They say, um, you know, here, here are the terms that, that we're offering. And then true holders. So the true holders, that's the TrueFi token. Those, those holders really govern the protocol and get, and get to say, you know, what direction do we want to take the protocol in? What borrowers do we want to have on the platform? What rates do we, do we uh, want to accept from, from those borrowers and so on? So the true holders then get to vote. Do they want to approve this $10 million loan to Alameda Research or not? And if they vote in favor, yes, they want to approve the loan, they pass a certain quorum and enough, enough of the votes are in favor versus against the loan, then that loan will get approved. And $10 million will be unlocked from the pool to go straight into Alameda's address. So Alameda then takes that money, they trade it, they farm it, they use that capital to generate more capital. And then 30 days later, before the term of the loan is up, they take that $10 million that they borrowed plus the interest that they need to pay, and they send that back to the lending pool. And the lending pool closes out the loan, says, okay, this loan was successfully repaid. And Alameda can now, if they want, uh, apply for a new loan. And the, the people that put TrueUSD into the lending pool, they've now, you know, they've been holding what are called TrueFi LP tokens. And these TrueFi LP tokens, that represents their share, their ownership of the pool. And now that pool has just gotten more valuable because it loaned out $10 million and Alameda paid back $10 million plus a bunch of interest. So that pool now has more assets than it started with. And so if you own 1% of the pool because you put some true USD in, if you're, you're an owner in that pool, now you're getting the upside because that loan uh, came back with additional interest. So now at some point, you can either withdraw and you can take your assets out of the pool, or if you want, you can actually take that TrueFi LP token and you could sell it to someone else, probably at a higher price than you bought it for because at this point, the pool has gone up in value. So assuming that loans are being successfully repaid and not defaulting, then the total value of the pool will be going up and up and up over time. Now, of course, there is the risk of default, and we can get into it in a bit of how the system handles that situation. So could you also tell us about, you know, what is the magnitude of value for stakers in the system, right? So like, what is the risk versus reward for them? Or in other words, you know, what is their skin in the game? Right. Because I, I'm thinking, is it possible that a borrower could purchase these true tokens and become stakers themselves or maybe, you know, influence these stakers to approve their loan by potentially bribing them? Good question. So, yes, borrowers could potentially purchase true tokens or could try to bribe holders of true. Now, true holders do have real skin in the game in multiple ways. First of all, because they're holding the TrueFi token. If something bad happens to the protocol, like a loan defaults, then that token will probably go down in value. So they are incentivized to try to act in the best interest of the protocol and avoid that sort of outcome. Additionally, if they actually stake their tokens, then you know, and, and they're voting in favor of a loan, then they stand to lose a fraction of their tokens that are staked if that loan defaults. And so they both will have their tokens potentially go down in value if a loan defaults, and they could additionally lose some. So they do have real skin in the game. 
Now, it's true that a borrower could try to influence them or could buy tokens themselves, but you know, borrower buying tokens themselves is not necessarily a bad thing because if the borrowers on the platform, like Alameda Research, Grapefruit, Wintermute, and so on, if they actually have true tokens, which some of them do, then they are further invested in the success of the platform overall. So now it's, it's almost like they have a little bit of collateral um, where you know, if they default on a loan, ultimately they're going to be taking a loss. Some of their tokens could be burned. Their tokens would go down in value because of the, the you know, reputational effects of, of people seeing that default. And so ultimately we'll be hurting them. And so it does align incentives if all of the different participants in the protocol, including both borrowers and lenders, are holding the TrueFi token. Uh, but that comes down to kind of like almost like a risk reward calculation, right? So say, let's take Alameda Research for the sake of argument. And basically they say, okay, I'm going to take part as the uh, part of the stakers. I'm going to buy some true token and I'm going to participate in the decision as to whether I approve my own loan, right? So from yeah. from the get-go there, it seems a little weird <laughs> in the sense that the borrower is basically getting a say about uh, a strong say about how uh, about approving their own loan from a legal perspective there might be some kind of conflict of interest kind of problems but then assuming that okay this is after all the crypto world you probably can't associate a trufi token holder with alameda research directly there's probably some kind of anonymity happening over there so you can't really tell then in that case basically it becomes a matter of alameda research then calculating and saying okay my stake in TrueFi, is it as big as the liability that I have uh, on that particular loan? And if it's less, then, I mean, it's it's a win for me just to default. And if it's not, then yeah, okay, I might have to think about it. But it's still basically, it, they would need to actually have a very big stake uh, in the true tokens for it to actually uh, work out the other way, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, and you, you could think of that as a little bit like an un, uh, under collateralized loan, right? Where, yeah, you, you could run away with the loan principle with an, you know, in an under collateralized loan. And assuming it is under collateralized, then yeah, the, you lose, you might lose your collateral, but it might still be worth it to you. And so we still do have to vet the borrowers carefully. And every borrower does sign an actual loan agreement that's legally binding with our company. In the future, that's going to be with a, a Swiss foundation that we're setting up right now. So with our company, as we're okay. decentralizing. And you know that that is just as enforceable as any other loan agreement in crypto. If, you know, if Genesis signs a loan agreement with Celsius or something like that, you know, two big crypto companies, if they sign a, a million dollar lo- loan agreement, you know, they, they can take each other to court if someone violates that. Now, if you know, if someone blows up and lose all, loses all the money, then it doesn't matter if you take them to court, right? You're not going to get anything. That's a great point. And I think that's that's important because obviously all of this is not happening. It's not like a, the prisoner's dilemma game in mathematics where it's all kind of like mathematically determined. There's actually real people and there's a real consequences. And, and I'm glad you brought that up. So right now, from my understanding, you're doing this idea of progressive decentralization and you're right now as a company, basically taking a lot of the legal and other uh, liability and risk of vetting the uh, borrowers and making sure they are 
legally signing a contract with you guys and all of that and uh, you talked about moving it to a Swiss foundation if I go back to the mission uh, that you you had laid out in one of your YouTube videos you talked about you know TrueFi's mission to be kind of like how in the internet democratized information uh, you want to democratize value right and make it available to everybody at some point that uh, that might become uh, a little bit challenging if the number of borrowers becomes <laughs> huge right even even, even as a foundation i would imagine that uh, there are limits to how many legal contracts and things so do you have like yeah, man, it's perfectly valid not to have like a concrete strategy or anything but do you have any kind of sense of how you can you're going to scale to that kind of internet scale for trufi that's a good question you know it's it's difficult on the borrower side because if we're, we can't just give a million dollar loan to anybody they do have to be carefully carefully vetted but the place where i think that we are already democratizing access to these kinds of financial opportunities is on the lender side because today you know if you look at funds like alameda they've got a great track record they produce phenomenal returns but if you're a small investor and you go to you go to alameda and say hey alameda can i invest some money with you or can i give you can i loan you some money and you can give me an attractive apy if you're a small investor they're going to say no, I'm sorry. I mean, we can't deal with someone if it's a, we're talking a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. If you're if you can do a million dollars or ten million dollars or hundred million dollars, they might be interested. But for a small investor, there's really there's really nothing that he can do. And that's true with most of these funds, and that's true with a lot of the best financial opportunities in the world. And so, wealthy folks that have millions and millions of dollars are able to get access to some of these things that a smaller investor with a thousand just can't. And that's not because firms like these, it's not because they're trying to be mean or trying to exclude the smaller fish. It's just that they just don't have the time or the resources to be able to take, you know, a thousand checks for a thousand dollars each, if they can go take one check for a million dollars. It just doesn't make sense. It's too much hassle for them. And so what we're doing is now we're saying, okay, if, you know, Alameda is paying 11 point, right now it's 11.6% APY. Okay. If you're a small consumer, where are you going to go to get 11.6% APY? Now that's definitely not risk free, you know. Alameda, you know, they're a they're a quant trading firm. They're definitely taking some risks, but for eleven point six percent APY, that's probably worth taking some risks. So that's a lot better than what I'm getting in most of my other investments in my portfolio. So, that, so that's pretty attractive. And now we're saying, okay, you can put your money into the lending pool right now, and you can, with just one dollar or ten dollars, you can start immediately earning and 11.6% return on that capital. And you could you could scale up, you could scale down as much as you want. It's You can put your money in anytime, 24-7. It's very easy to access. And not only that, but we actually give true tokens to the people that use our product, whether you're a lender or you're providing liquidity in some of our pools. Um, we have a couple of farms which offer a, a much higher APY um, you know, just the, just the normal APY that you get from the lending pool, which is right now, it's about 11.8% right now. Um, plus, we also will give you a bunch of extra true tokens just for being a user of the product. And so counting those true tokens as well, the current APY that the product is offering is about 57% APY, which is a pretty insane APY. And that's partly because we are just taking these true tokens that ultimately govern the protocol. And we are saying, 
if you're a user of this protocol, we're going to put these true tokens directly into your hands so that you get to decide what the future of the protocol is. You get to decide what sorts of new borrowers you want on the platform. And we're giving you the best possible interest rate that we can. And it doesn't matter if you're a big fish with 10 million bucks in the protocol or you're a small fish with 100, you're still getting a very, very attractive APY. So I think that truly is democratizing access to financial opportunities. And it's something that I think is very exciting about the protocol. Absolutely. Like you said, you're democratizing uh, access to lenders. This is kind of like going back originally when you thought about the whole uh, decentralized autonomous organization that originally came up with Ethereum. Uh, that was the exactly. dream, right? Where where basically you everybody puts in a little bit of ether and then there's some kind of automation around who gets the money. That's right. But one of the problems that the Ethereum DAO kind of revealed was that so in in this particular case, again in the initial setting, the trust token company is taking on that risk of saying that okay, fine, we are making sure that the borrowers are good and uh, you can trust these borrowers that they will they will pay back. But the question I want to ask is what happens further down the line? So when I think about it, there are two ways to uh, approach this. One one is basically, like you said, you are distributing true tokens to the community. And uh, the expectation is that, okay, now as, a, as the community gets more and more true tokens, they will be more invested and they will be careful about, you know, finding and vetting the right borrowers and making sure that the loans that they approve have a good risk reward profile. But you know, if you look back at the real world, there is a reason why accredited investors, that rule is there, right? It's because the government basically uh, wants to protect the people who have $1,000 or $10,000 and who don't have the resources to go after a defaulting borrower, right? So if, if it was like in the real world, if suddenly, uh, you know, Joe Public could invest in, uh, say, uh, stock and the company basically decides to go bankrupt or just runs away with the money, there's not that much a Joe Public person can do to go after it. They don't have the resources individually. Maybe they can band together and do a class action suit, but that's, as we all know, that's that's not exactly the most easiest thing to do and it's not the most guaranteed thing to do, right? So have you thought about or are you thinking about ways to kind of help ensure, for lack of a better term, the risk that uh, as a ordinary investor who may not have the level of financial sophistication to vet the right loans that maybe an accredited investor might have, how, how do you kind of ensure that they don't actually lose all their uh, investments and get uh, defrauded out of everything? Just to piggyback on that question before, Rafael, you jump in. We also saw that there is a graphic which shows that, you know, there's 0.5 incentive in the true incentive pool for Nexus Mutual. Could you elaborate a little bit also on Nexus Mutual and do, do they play a role in this ecosystem to address some of the points that, that Nikhil just mentioned? Okay, so let me, let me, let me first um, address what Nikhil was describing, and then I'll, I'll talk about Nexus Mutual. So, um, first of all, no investments without risk. If you put money into the TrueFi lending pool, there definitely could be, be defaults and you could lose those funds. So don't put your life savings in there. But what I would say is beautiful about TrueFi and about DeFi in general is that at the very least, it is fair. If you put $1 into the TrueFi lending pool, you are getting exactly the same APY 
as someone, a big fish who's putting in a million dollars or $20 million. You're getting exactly the same APY as everyone else. You're treated exactly the same as them. And if there is a default in the lending pool, and so far there have been zero defaults, and we've been very, very careful about which borrowers we allow onto the platform. But if there is a default, then all of the lenders in the lending pool are treated exactly the same. No one's given any sort of preferential treatment. So that's what I'd say about that. So you know, definitely be careful with it, but I would encourage folks that are listening to this to give the product a try and just consider, you know, with you know, your own financial acumen and talking with your financial advisor, you know, whether an investment like this is, would make sense as a part of your overall portfolio and your overall strategy in crypto or in DeFi. Now, in terms of Nexus Mutual, Nexus Mutual is a partnership where they provide insurance on smart contracts. And so we are actually working with them to be able to allow people to, you can go to Nexus Mutual, you can buy insurance for the TrueFi smart contracts, and that will not cover you in the event of a borrower defaulting, but it will cover you in the event of the smart contracts having a bug and getting hacked. And so for users that want that extra level of security, that's something that you can purchase directly with Nexus Mutual. But um, I would mention that the protocol has already been audited by multiple external auditors, and we don't ship any code, of course, that doesn't go through an external audit by a professional auditor. So we're aiming to be as careful as we possibly can and very much avoiding the fate of some of these other protocols that have gotten hacked, trying to do everything really as by the book as we can when it comes to security. Awesome. I mean, that's great to hear. I mean, the record of hacks, especially in D5, has not been great. <laughs> and so it's great to hear that you're, you're doing that. And it's also very heartening to see that, you know, if you've got insurance from Nexus Mutual, in a way, that's basically also a assurance about the level of auditing and the level of uh, comfort that they have on your code, right? So that's a great advertisement to the security that, uh, that you have. As to exactly. the point, uh, yeah, as to the point about being fair, uh, absolutely, I agree with you. It is algorithmic, it is fair, and that's, that's one of the central attractions of decentralized currencies. And uh, just to add to a little bit uh, what you were saying, yeah, I mean, I have seen the trust token interface, and you're right, it's very easy to actually participate. And you can participate for, I think there's a minimum amount, uh, right? I think it's like a thousand dollars or something. Um, to use TrueFi, there's no minimum amount. You can use TrueFi with just one dollar or a million dollars. Now, TrueUSD, this the stablecoin that is used currently in the TrueFi protocol. Um, we do, you know, you can you can send in a bank wire to mint TrueUSD, the stablecoin, and that does have a minimum, just because you know bank wires are kind of expensive. And so I think we have a thousand dollar minimum there. But if you want to buy less than a thousand dollars of TrueUSD, you can also get TrueUSD on Binance, Huobi, OKEx, FTX, lots of different crypto exchanges and crypto apps. It's very widely used inside of crypto. So and you can you can even trade other stablecoins like USDC directly for TrueUSD as well. So I would say anyone, um, anyone who's listening to this, you know, if this is the kind of thing that you're interested in or excited about, please do give the product a try um, and join our community. We're really trying to build the future of DeFi here. And we think uncollateralized lending is going to be a huge part of it. And we've got a Discord community. Let us know any issues you're having with the product, any questions you have, thoughts on where we should be taking it and so on. Um, we're really excited about it. And we would like to have all of you join us. 
Absolutely. Speaking of governance, uh, Rafael, so what is your view, long-term view in terms of the role of Trust Token as a company in the protocol and the foundation that you're going to build? So my understanding is that the foundation would be more as a legal entity to handle the uh, legal obligations. But, uh, you know, what about the development and maintenance of the protocol and uh, the community itself, would that still be managed by Trust Token? And in, if, if that's the case, what is the incentive for Trust Token in doing this service? Yeah, so we, we would like to move the company out of any sort of central role in the protocol. You know, it's really going to be um, managed by the community, true holders, and the foundation. And um, the foundation will have you know, very strong governance in place to make sure that it's really doing what the community wants and what's best for the protocol. And the foundation is also going to have the assets that it needs to be able to pay for the continued development of the protocol, which we know is something that other projects such as YFI and some others have recently been struggling to figure out, you know, how can a, how can a decentralized protocol continue to pay for development? Who's actually going to work on it and build it? And so we're going to make sure that this entity, the foundation that we set up, has enough assets to be able to last for quite a long time. And then, you know, the protocol in the future, if it does need to grant, it, it could even grant more assets to the foundation. If after some number of years, the protocol you know, still needs continued development and the foundation still needs to play a role there. Um, but we're looking to set the foundation up really well. It's going to have a bunch of trust tokens and cash and be able to pay either um, the company or other developers to be able to work on the protocol and making sure that it keeps improving. That, that's a great point, uh, Rafael, which is, which is one thing we've not covered, which is basically uh, how many true tokens are there and what's the divestment schedule? Uh, I mean, is there a minting schedule or an inflation for true token? Well, so there's no minting and there's no inflation for the true token, but um, there was a total supply of 1.45 billion tokens at the beginning. And at this point, some of those have already been burned from the protocol. But with, with the remaining tokens, you know, some of them are in, in circulation. And the tokens that were granted to the team and to the company and to the investors in the private sale, those were all those are all under a two year lockup. That really helps, you know, to make sure that the team and the company and those investors are really thinking about the long term interest of the protocol and not doing anything irresponsible with the protocol or with a token. Yeah, but theoretically, uh, every time we approve a loan, right, we have yep. winners and losers, and I think the losers basically lose their stake, right? Some part of it is burnt, if, if I'm not wrong. That's right. Yeah, some of those are permanently burned. So isn't there like a non-zero chance that that might become a problem where you have a deflationary spiral? And there's just too few tokens available. Yeah, there's just, I mean, it's people don't get enough tokens to participate anymore. That's true. If there are fewer and fewer tokens over time, then I think those tokens will potentially be more and more valuable because they'll be, you know, just fewer circulating on the market. And at the end of the day, a lot of aspects about the protocol, like governance, they will be based on a percentage of circulating supply. So let's say to get an upgrade to the protocol passed through governance, you'll need a certain percentage of the circulating supply. But if the circulating supply decreases significantly through one of the burning mechanisms, then that also 
uh, you know, would reduce the number of tokens needed to pass the proposal. Does that make sense? Yeah, but do you envision a scenario where, like, if you are, say, very successful and you've decentralized and it's almost like internet scale, right? You you figured out the vetting the borrowers or maybe the uh, the staking uh, of loans has become really efficient. Every time there is a loan, so suppose instead of now doing 10 million in loans, we start getting borrowers who don't want that much. They want maybe a hundred thousand, or they're they're like you're you're democratizing the borrower side as well, right? Uh, in in which case, then basically you'll have this situation where you have a lot of small loans, all of which would need to be, uh, I mean, you need to actually stake on it or vote on it, and in each of those loans, the people who are on the losing side or the people who basically voted wrong they're going to get slashed and those tokens are going to get burned so there is potentially a scenario and this is me basically just thinking out loud uh, where if you become really successful uh, your tokens become too expensive and you're driving out the ordinary guy again right you know i think that definitely is a possibility for us i don't think it would be the worst thing in the world if that happened i would mention that the current model that we have where true holders are voting on every single loan. That's what we have right now. And, and you know, it does help to keep the protocol safe, but we know that that's not a model that's gonna scale long-term, as you mentioned, as we start to open the platform up to more and more borrowers and are hopefully doing tens, hundreds, thousands of loans. So what we're doing, what we're moving towards in the future, and this is on the roadmap, we're gonna be having, rather than true holders voting on individual loans, they would vote on an overall credit model. And then the credit model would determine what those actual credit limits are and what the uh, rates on those loans are and so on. Does that make sense? We think that's a much more scalable model down the road. It just takes time to really build up a data, build up track record, and be able to develop that really solid credit model that we're going to be moving to. So, so you're kind of moving to making bets on the person behind the loan rather than the loan itself. Almost like giving a credit card to a person, right? Saying like, okay, I trust you and I'll give you a credit line of X and you can do as many loans or as many withdrawals as you want on that. Exactly. And we're, we're developing a model that's going to be taking into account, uh, you know, the size of the firm, how many loans you've taken back before and repaid, the kind of trading that you do, all kinds of information about the firm and their track record, and then determining, okay, so Krishna, your trading firm has a $5 million credit limit. Nikhil, your firm has a $3 million credit limit based on all this data. And people will, will vote on that overall credit model and approve it. They don't have to um, worry as much about each individual loan, which is going to save a lot of time. So it will be a more automated version of the platform than what we have today that we know is not, is not the most convenient for the actual true voters who are evaluating loans. That's very exciting, Rafael. I mean, I look forward to that particular future because like the efforts that are happening a few years back around, you know, social lending for the underprivileged, right? So uh, we had companies like Kiva and Grameen Bank and all of that that went into the developing nations and kind of gave small loans to people who desperately needed them. And the model basically was that, okay, instead of giving large loans to corporate entities and uh, not getting that much return on them, 
you give these a uh, huge number of small loans and then kind of bundle it up and then get a little bit more interest and also by the way improve the quality of life of a large number of people hopefully maybe this could be one thing that we see trufi evolve into in the future i would like us to get there eventually but i think it's going to be difficult for trufi to be able to do loans to individuals because right now you know if it has a foundation that is ultimately signing those lending contracts with corporations and handling the collections should that become necessary you know that can work for larger corporate borrowers doing a million dollars or 10 million dollars but it was going to be very difficult to scale that to smaller borrowers who are doing $100 or $1000 and so i actually think that the way that we'll be able to tap into that market which i do agree is a very exciting market and i think you know can do a lot of good for the world by opening up access to credit i think that we're going to we're going to be able to tap that market by partnering with companies like Tala or Branch or other folks that are doing these small uncollateralized loans to consumers in developing nations and we could look at their portfolio we can look at their track record and analytics and the protocol could make a loan directly to one of those companies and then they could handle loaning it out to 10,000 or 100,000 smaller individuals but we can ultimately be the source of that high yield capital okay so from your mental model you're basically trying to make this democratization more for the lending part so as a ordinary person can i get in on the next uh, alameda research or the next big vc firm that comes out and basically take some advantages of the kinds of financial instruments that an accredited investor or a high net worth individual might have exactly that's right and actually but i just looked at the site and it looks like just now a, a 3 million dollar loan went out to one of the borrowers on our platform grapefruit trading so this is literally um the machine is working as we speak it's pretty yeah, cool awesome yeah it is it is 24 by 7 that's sleeps. right <laughs> it's awesome rafael it, it's been great talking to you i i i just noticed that we've already blown past the uh, uh, 45 minute mark but i think this was a awesome conversation i i really enjoyed myself and i want to thank you for having this interview with us and educating us about this pretty compelling product and yeah just looking forward to seeing uh, how this grows i wish nothing but the best for you guys thank you nikhil and krishna it's been great to be on the show with you too and i hope that we'll look back on this and years from now and we'll say wow that was really the beginning of uncollateralized lending in defi right there and i hope it's going to be a very very bright future for our protocol and for defi and crypto in general All right folks once again that was Rafael Cosman from Trust Token you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes Google Play and Spotify and you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com thanks for joining see you next time